You're listening to the Wind Smart Podcast. Each podcast, we look at what's going on in each cropping region, focusing on those pesky weeds. Welcome to another edition of the Weed Smart Podcast. We're just coming back from quite a few days of Easter holidays, and then we had Anzac Day as well yesterday. And I'm joined again by my co-host, Peter Newman. How are you, Pete? I'm very well, Jess. We shouldn't rub in the holidays too much. Lots of farmers don't take them at this time of year, do they? That's right. But hopefully some people did get a break or at least took a bit of time out with family and friends. Well, I know the New South Wales farmers got exactly what they wanted for Anzac Day. Some of them got the the lovely inch and the Victorian and South Australian Mallee farmers, I think, might have done all right too. So happy days. There was a bit of rain about in the great southern area when I was down over Easter as well. It was weird seeing rain because in Perth we haven't seen rain all that much at all in recent weeks. But yeah, it got quite wet down in Bremer Bay when I was there. Dry as chips in Geraldton, but farmers are dry seeding up here. And uh, Jess, what did you do down there, Bremer Bay? Well, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I might have, that I was going down to Bremer Bay for the canyon tours to see orcas. Unfortunately, (laughs) as is my luck. I did not see orcas, which was the primary reason why I went on the tour, but I did see huge pods of sperm whales. So for the duration of the tour, we saw a couple of different pods, or they might have been the same, it's hard to tell. But yeah, only 50 metres away from the boat, and they were breaching. Unfortunately, I forgot my camera though. You know, that is a rookie mistake. Yeah, forgotten <laughs> in the big rush to get down there. Oh. But anyway, I had it all packed and everything, but forgot to switch it over to the car we're actually going in. So never mind. Capture the photos. Well, yeah, take a photo in your mind of sperm whales. You've got to be one of the few people I've ever met that's seen one of those. Yeah, it was amazing. But uh, yeah, even without binoculars or anything, because they were so close to the boat, it was quite easy to see them. So that was yeah, really exciting. Very cool. Fantastic. Yeah, and I also stayed at a farm in Borden, Pete. That was pretty cool too. Yep, yep. Entertaining farmer, you tell me. Yeah, Richard, probably won't yep. be listening, but hello. Thanks for the Airbnb <laughs> stay if you are listening or someone might know you. <laughs> yeah, always really good. I think more farmers actually should get into that because it really does give you a really good experience going on different farms if you've got the accommodation to do it. And Richard yeah. was, was cool. He said, you know, have a, as long as you shut all the gates, feel free to have a look around the property and everything. So... Well, I guess it's one of those things where we say that back in the day, we all used to have family on farms and we used to visit them on holidays and that doesn't happen now. So people in the cities don't get to visit farms, but with the Airbnb, it could be all possible again, couldn't it? Mm, something something to consider, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because it yeah. is always exciting and we yeah had a look around and got to see these rams and had a look at, um, obviously, not much growing yet because it's a bit too early, but it's still good. It's still good to get out in the country. Very, yeah, very absolutely. Nice. But we are going to be talking about spraying today. I caught up with a spray contractor in Tamman just before Easter, got out on the road, which was very cool. So, Pete, I was going to ask you, from your background as an agronomist, what was the benefit of actually choosing a spray contractor? Yeah, well, there are some farmers that just don't like spraying and don't own a boom spray and just get a contractor to do everything. Or they might be like a one-man show and they just don't have time to do everything. But there are also, and I think we're seeing more of this now, there's quite a few farmers that sort of have enough spraying for, say, one and a half boom sprays. And so rather than own a second one and have to employ someone to drive it, they get the spray contractor to 
uh, to fill in the gap. And that is becoming very common and it means that the spraying can be done on time, whereas if they tried to get their one boom spray and stretch it, then often things end up getting sprayed too late and it gets pretty stressful. So, yeah, the spray contractor is getting more common and we're seeing some really great professional spray contractors like Andrew, who you interviewed. And Pete, would you think it also opens up a bit more opportunity for other streams of work out in rural areas? Because, you know, you might not want to continue in farming, but you could set up a business like this. Do you think that not just spraying, but other areas could be kind of outsourced like this, providing more opportunity for more diverse, I guess, employment opportunities out in the bush? Yeah, absolutely. Look, if you're not from a family farm, it can be very difficult to break into farming. Uh, whereas this, you know, being a contractor can give people the opportunity to buy equipment and go spraying or, or seeding or harvesting as a contractor. And some of those people then go on to own a bit of land and set themselves up as farming. It's like a segue into their step into agriculture. So, yeah, great employer. And uh, as we see professional spray contractors and professional contractors coming on board, we're seeing farmers really embracing using the services. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're going to take a listen to Andrew Irving in just a minute, who's the spray contractor out in Tamman. And he does have a really cool accent as well. And there was a bit of confusion about where he was from, from some other people I was chatting to out there. So definitely try and guess what the accent is while you're listening. It does get revealed, but just as a extra little bonus fun thing to do. But yeah, Andrew was great. And it was also really fantastic actually being able to get out into the rural areas and see what's going on too. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, he does have a great accent. And, um, yeah, I don't know if I'd pick exactly where he was from just by listening, but I think I might have got the country right. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) All right, let's take a listen to Andrew. We're on the road for Weed Smart Podcast this week and we're still in Tamman, just, and I'm sitting here with Andrew just outside his workshop. Andrew, give us a little bit of an introduction into your spray business. We have a contract spraying business uh, based in the central wheat belt. Uh, we travel about 100k radius of our base here near Tamman. We operate three self-propelled sprayers and spray a variety of crops, canola, wheat, barley, lupins, um, yeah, whatever's growing around about here. Whatever's, whatever's going, yes. And you've got a bit of a killer accent. Can you uh, give a bit of insight into where, where you're from and how you got here? Uh, yeah, originally from Scotland, originally a farmer from Scotland. And we've been in Australia for, geez, let me think, 13, 14 years now. Yeah. And we've been running the business now for 11 years. And what made you move over? Uh, the sun. The, sun? <laughs> the climate. <laughs> yeah, look... Uh, yeah, climate was a, had a lot to do with it, and also opportunities. And uh, yeah, farming wasn't really going anywhere back in the back in Scotland. So, oh, fair enough. And you yep. happy with your choice? Yeah, it's been a good, Perfect, good choice. That's good. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty of a bit of what you do with your business. So, what were the major weed problems during the summer months? For example, were melons or caltrop, fleabane, were they issues? Uh, yeah, yep. Round about here, we had uh, anywhere between. 8 and 12 inches of rain at the end of January so summer weeds was a huge issue uh, melons, calthrop, volunteer cereals, volunteer canola um, you name it it came up And are these weeds, are they becoming more difficult to control? Is there a different strategy that you're using? Uh, rates seem to be going up and up every year One thing I am noticing 
in the last few years is how quickly some of the weeds set seed. So your Calthrop is is setting seed within 10 days, you know, flowering and setting seed within 10 to 12 days. And it's becoming a real issue to, to get it sprayed before it does set seed. And weeds are just becoming harder to kill and rates are having to be more robust. Mm, not great news. With water quality, we were having a chat about it a bit before and uh, you're on Scheme here and a lot of your clients are using Scheme water. But if you can just give a bit of an overview for how water quality can impact uh, spray applications just for those people who are not in the know about that. Yeah, water quality is is, um, is quite a big issue. We're extremely lucky here. We've, we've got scheme water everywhere we go. But if you're using bore water or dam water, uh, yeah, you can have issues with with uh, quality and hardness of the water and so alkalinity of it as well. How do people overcome those issues? Uh, just put buffers in, pH buffers and... Um, yeah, I honestly don't know what they do with some of the poorer quality, quality bore waters. I haven't had much experience with that. But definitely address it if you if you know you're in a hard water area. Yeah, look, just get it tested. Yeah, yep, for sure. That's good advice. We're going to talk a little bit about the Weed Seeker. Can you just explain what the Weed Seeker actually is, Andrew? The Weed Seeker, it's a separate boom we have on one of the sprayers. And it's... It uses um, infrared and near-white light to uh, detect green weeds in on some bare soil or in stubble. Yeah, and you can have some huge chemical savings by using it. So, uh, do you spray green radish in crop using the weed, weed seeker, and what herbicides are you using? We've never used it in crop yet. Uh, I've heard a few people using it in the north, northern wheat belt in crop. My issue is that it's a separate boom to go on a separate machine and. I'm using that machine for blanket spraying at that time of year, so it's a bit difficult to to um, take it on and off all the time. But if it was easier to take on and off, it would definitely be something we'd look at using in crop, and not you know not just in lupins. There's you know cereals and everything you could you could use it in. Do you reckon there's an innovation there that could? Uh, yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> there is some work being done by some sprayer manufacturers that are looking to to put that on. That type of technology on the sprayer all the time so if that comes about then yeah be a bit of a game changer hey? it could yeah, yeah yeah so are there any new efficiencies with using the weed seeker for example a shielded sprayer or anything else not really not not with what we're using it for we're primarily using it in the summer summer months for hard to kill summer weeds cooch grass is is a is a huge one for us in this area uh, so we can target cooch grass at high high rates of chemical and it can still be very cost effective for the farmer. Yeah, that's awesome. So Andrew, were farmers choosing to use your services to ensure efficiency with their spray program? Uh, yeah, look, I guess we've got uh, quite a few different clients. Some rely on us 100%, they don't own a sprayer. They find it they're far more efficient to get us to come in and do it quickly rather than them spending longer and longer on the boom spray. Others, we just come in and, and target certain operations, knockdown or with the SPs, a lot of late season work where, where there's less crop damage. Yeah, we're finding the, the business is growing, growing and growing every year with there's more and more spraying seem to happen. Yeah, right. So when it does come to your clients, when you've got a job, do clients specify water rates and speed? And if so, is there a charge for slower speed and larger droplets? Look, I guess it's a combination of of the client, their agronomist, and ourselves uh, to get the best outcome from the job. 
and the most economic. But yeah, I guess I guess we will do what they want unless I don't agree with what they want. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, most of the time it's a combination of the three yeah. to, to get to the best outcome. For sure. We're coming into knockdown season and people are applying pre-emergence. Do you have any messages or advice to farmers and agros out there when it comes to spraying over the seeding and sowing period? Well, with knockdown, there, there's no excuse. Get it done early, get it done quick. And if you can do a double knock, do it. There's uh, there's too many too many growers letting weeds get too big and not controlling them properly pre-seeding and it's, it's costing them big time. When it comes to uh, setting up your spray rig for different clients, how do you determine the droplet size and the nozzles that you're going to use? Um, I guess the the water rate and droplet sizes it changes as the year progresses. We're going away from conventional nozzles and we're going f- more for um, AirTech type nozzles, which injects compressed air into the fluid stream, so you can change your droplet spectrum on the go just by turning a dial. We're finding that's a lot more efficient way of doing it. Uh, we're getting far better results. Being able to control the droplet more accurately. Uh, and the and the fluid pressure more accurately, and we're, we're actually we're getting better results using less water. So yes, the technology is is moving forward pretty quick at the moment, uh, and there is other technologies, aim command and that type of thing. That's yeah, that's really showing some pretty good results. Does that technology enable you to have the smaller droplet size without having to worry about wind inversion as much at all? Smaller droplets, you'll get more drift regardless. Okay. It gives you more control over the droplet size and as the day changes you can make changes to your spray pattern but also the the, the air tech systems the droplet is coming out a lot higher velocity out the nozzle and you seem to get less drift with that type of system anyway so although it is they're very expensive for us for what we're doing there it's money well spent yeah because it logically it kind of you know, you, you think of the pressure of the air, but yeah, obviously yep. it doesn't make enough difference. You still have to be really con- concerned yeah. about spray drift, obviously, but yeah, it's a little yeah. bit less. Yeah, that system, you definitely get less less drift with it, and, and it's, yeah, it's a lot more controllable, which as the day changes, it's, yeah, it makes it a lot easier without having to change change nozzles yeah, or it's a lot less. change pressures. And, yep. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Andrew. No worries, my pleasure. Great hearing from Andrew Irving there out in Tamman. Yeah, and I reckon he's Scottish, but I'm not 100% sure which part of Scotland. Can you narrow it in, Jess? I'm, I'm pretty sure Andrew did say he was from Glasgow, uh, and yeah. I love that accent. So I'm fairly confident, could be wrong. I'm sure someone will pick it up if it is wrong. But yeah, it, it was great interviewing someone with such a great accent. And it's also great hearing from people who have made the big trip over to move to Australia and have made a really successful business for themselves out in regional Australia. It's really it's a really good news story, really. He has. When I was backpacking, I worked in a pub in Edinburgh for a couple of months. And I tell you, understanding drunk Scots is one of the great challenges in life. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was good, easy to understand being completely plain sober in the middle of the day. Yes, that's that's good to hear, Pete. We wouldn't want people not understanding the the really important messages he had to say. That's right. But he did mention some really topical and important issues throughout that interview. The first I wanted to bring up with you is the importance of getting that double knock done. What are your thoughts? Are people getting much more on top of this now? I really think they are, and I was just commenting with the other agronomists 
where I work here uh, the other day that years ago, particularly with summer weed spraying, farmers used to let the weeds get bigger and think, I'll try and get them all with one spray. But nowadays, really seems that as soon as there's summer weeds, they're out there spraying. And Andrew also mentioned with the double knock, with like the winter knockdown, he was sort of saying that some farmers do let the weeds get big, whereas what we do see is is most growers really are out there on that first flush of germination spraying small weeds with big rates and then double knocking. And that's best practice and we're seeing a lot more of that now, which is really encouraging. Yeah, it's really good to see that those messages are getting through. Obviously, several benefits in doing that, including ensuring that you're not wasting your soil moisture on weeds. So uh, hopefully that continues to be the trend. Exactly, yeah. And obviously that double knock is about looking after glyphosate and also looking after paraquat if we're using one and then the other. We're looking after both of those herbicides. So, yeah, it's not just about uh, preserving moisture and it's not just about spraying small weeds. It's about making sure those herbicides last for many years to come. That's right. That's, there's lots of, lots of benefits there. So There are. Yeah, good to see that people are doing the best practice. And also, if you're not getting a spray contractor in for doing everything for your spraying program, getting the rig right, adjusting your boom spray is really an important part of the process. Do you have any points for people to consider on that topic, Pete? Yeah, well, let's face it. I mean, spray contractors didn't have a great name 10, 15 years ago. They were really out there. They, you know, the gear wasn't as good. They were often driving utes with a small tank on the back, so they were trying to spray at 30 or 40 litres of water per hectare. The spray quality was all over the place, and, you know, um, they really didn't, um, you know, the job was uh, variable. Nowadays, we're seeing people like Andrew geared up with three SP boom sprays, as he said, working with the agronomist, with the farmer, talking that spray quality, droplet size, water rate, speed, all of those things. And we're seeing a really professional approach to spraying and farming. And that's the future, isn't it? It's about really doing things really well. And do you have any advice for um, for growers at all who are not using a spray contractor at all in terms of getting their rigs set up right? Look, there is a great new resource actually out um, from GRDC, which was is one of the grow notes. And I think it's got about 80 videos in it. Uh, and Bill Gordon features heavily. And if you wanted to learn anything about spraying quality and, and how to spray, there is a really good research there with lots of these little short one- to two-minute videos about all the different aspects. And uh, there really are some great resources out there now. So spraying, in my time, has moved such a long way back from when we all had 015 nozzles, very fine, everyone was 50 litres of water and towing all sorts of equipment to now when the equipment's top-notch and we can adjust the spray quality and now we have people like Bill Gordon teaching us how to do it well. Uh, Really, there's no excuse these days. Really, um, spraying can be done very well and, and the vast majority of growers are doing it. And the sky does seem to be the limit with those innovations in the spray technology. I can imagine in the future there's going to be lots more innovative things happening with nozzles and and the way that the rig actually works too. And hopefully that'll see even less impact for things like wind inversions and, you know, making sure that the spray is actually getting onto the ground as we would want it to be. Yeah, exactly, Jess. And you know what? Years ago, before herbicide resistance, we could really get it wrong and still kill the weeds. We could get the spray quality really wrong and then and mostly kill the weeds. Now we've got resistant weeds out there. You've got to get everything right, conditions, spray quality, timing. 
And if you if you're getting it wrong, then you get survivors because they may not be high level resistance, but a, a good spray job can kill the weeds. So these days, you know, farmers have really been pushed to really getting it right, and uh, in the vast majority of cases, I think they are. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And is there any other other top tips you want to give to the farmers and agros out there this week, Pete? Oh, I guess uh, just with that double knock, make sure that the rates of both are right up. I know a lot of the WA agronomists now are talking about two to three litres of paraquat as a second knock now um, because paraquat is very, very cheap. And at you know when we have tillering grass uh, and bigger broadleaf weeds, two to three litres of paraquat sounds ridiculous, sounds much higher than we're ever uh, comfortable with using, but that's what some agronomists and, and farmers are starting to do now with the low price. So, um, yeah, that second knock of high rate of paraquat is paramount. That's, yeah, that's really sage advice, Pete. And we talked a little bit about what I did over Easter earlier in the podcast, but you've actually got something really exciting coming up in the next month. You're going mm. to be going over to America for a conference, but you're also going to be having a big holiday over there. In an RV, I, I hear. I am. We leave this weekend on Saturday, and that's our first family overseas trip. And if anyone's seen the movie RV with Robin Williams, we're basically reenacting that. <laughs> <laughs> We've rented a massive RV. We're driving from LA to Denver uh, through all the national parks and uh, and through the Rockies. And this RV is three metres wide, Jess, and I've got to Thank drive you. it on the wrong side of the road. So... Uh, hopefully uh, all goes well, and yes. uh, yeah, but we are very excited. I think I saw the RV movie on Netflix the other day, and I nearly watched it. <laughs> yeah, you've got to watch it. There's I'll make sure scene. I watch it this, this weekend, and I'll think of you. <laughs> There's a scene where they've got to empty the sewage tank, and uh, I've been, it's not, it's not pretty, <laughs> and uh, I've been putting my kids up to say it's their job on the trip, and, uh, but no, it should be good fun. Hopefully we uh, don't have as many incidences as they did. Yeah, I think it'll be the trip of a lifetime and it's so exciting that you get to do it with the whole family too. I think that it'll be fantastic. Should be great. All right. Well, Pete, this is the last time we'll hear from you until um, the next Weed Smart podcast. So have a really awesome trip and thank you so much for giving some really great insights into getting spraying right. Thanks, Jess. And, uh, yeah, Lisa and I uh, and the whole team from ARI will be in uh, Denver at the Global Herbicide Resistance Challenge Conference and we'll be uh, sending snippets back home to people back here via podcast and Twitter and some videos of, of what the highlights of the conference are. So we'll have plenty to talk about next time we get together. Yeah, it'll be exciting. So if you're listening out there, do keep in touch on our Weed Smart Twitter account and also feel free to carry the conversation on from the podcast if there's anything that you listen to in the podcast which piques your interest or if you have a question yeah, send us a tweet and we'll be happy to get involved in the conversation. Mm-hmm.